Sleep apnea, a lot of times it's associated with snoring. You know, it really does affect a lot of people's lives. Up to 25% of adults actually have it. At St. Bernard's, we never stop caring. It's why we provide the most comprehensive women's care in the region. Here to support you throughout life, including OBGYN telemedicine services, plus comprehensive care for pregnant women, like 24-7 OBGYN and pediatric physician coverage, certified lactation specialists, and the only OB emergency department and NICU in the region. Make an appointment with an OBGYN. Visit womens.stbernards.info or call 870-207-7300. Welcome back to HealthWave. I'm your host, Mitchell Nail, and at HealthWave, we believe your health matters because you matter, and we hope you're healthy and well today. As always, HealthWave is made possible by St. Bernard's Healthcare, the largest healthcare system in Northeast Arkansas and Southeast Missouri. St. Bernard's has a new, more user-friendly look. Whether you're trying to find a doctor, the closest St. Bernard's facility to you, or just anything they've got going on, visit stbernards.info. Again, that's stbernards.info. Joining me in studio today is Dr. Michael Bone. He's an otolaryngologist with OFSC in Jonesboro, Arkansas. It's a group of ear, nose, throat, and facial surgeons who practice in partnership with St. Bernard's Medical Center. And Dr. Bone recently came to OFSC from Memphis, Tennessee, but he's a native of Georgia, well, Dr. Bone, welcome to HealthWave. Tell us a little bit about your journey here. So I first did my med school in uh, Georgia, and that's where I was born and raised in Augusta, Georgia. And then uh, I met my future wife one summer working in Memphis. We kind of hit it off, got married, and then we finally ended up in Memphis. Because... It's amazing how that always kind of <laughs> glues you down to a place, right? Oh, yeah. No. And we, her family's great, so we've really enjoyed being in the Mid-South region. But I ended up doing my residency at UT Memphis um, just to be close to her family. And then we ended up here because we wanted to be close to her family. And then also the, the group at OFSC, they're such a good group of guys. And they've been very welcoming. And, you know, I've already enjoyed my three weeks here so far. I hear the OFSC team is notoriously selective on who joins their practice. And uh, so I guess we've kind of got some young blood. That's high praise for you. I think I'm the first one that's been there since 20 years ago, so they're they're very excited to have me, and I'm I'm excited just to be able to work with such a good group. Dr. Bone, what made you interested in becoming a doctor, drilling down, specializing in otolaryngology or ENT care? You know, ENT is really unique because we have the ability to work with kids and adults. A lot of our patients are, you know, relatively healthy. They have these big problems, though, that we can fix with a lot of different surgeries. I think it's that bond that we form of our patients because of the appreciation they have. And then we also get to treat the same patients for decades. I mean, I've already seen several patients that have been seeing some of my partners for, for decades. And I think that that's kind of a unique relationship that you can form because of ENT. And Dr. Michael Bone, he's an otolaryngologist with OFSC in Jonesboro, Arkansas. Dr. Bone, one of the things that brought you here is your training in helping folks battling sleep apnea. If you're a sports fan, you often hear about it associated with retired larger athletes, such as linemen in football, or someone maybe associates it with snoring and CPAP machines. First off, what is it and what are the symptoms? 
So sleep apnea is defined as having either a reduction in airflow or a complete obstruction of airflow when people are uh, sleeping at night. A lot of times it's associated with snoring. It's also associated with daytime sleepiness, inability to focus or concentrate during the day. It affects people's ability to do their jobs correctly. And this is slightly different from snoring. You can have snoring by itself without having true sleep apnea. So that is kind of an important distinction to make. A lot of times people have bad headaches in the morning. You know, it really does affect a lot of people's lives. Up to 25% of adults actually have it. Oh, wow. A quarter. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. And and it's a little scary too, especially in a place like the South where we have problems with obesity, et cetera. Oh yeah. And that's been a big thing, you know, the past couple of decades, we've definitely seen increased rates of it because of obesity. And I, I think this is a, an issue that we'll be, you know, we'll be continuing to deal with for the next several decades. Let's talk about somebody who maybe lives alone. They may not hear themselves snore. How would they have a clue that they have sleep apnea? So you actually, there actually are a lot of apps that you can download on your phone. One that I've used is called Snorelab. It actually records you as you sleep, and then it records any time that you snore. So that I think that that's really a good way to give yourself an idea that you may have sleep apnea. The other thing is, if, if you talk about it with your physician, they may be able to set you up with a home sleep study in order to test if you're having these pauses in your breathing or drops in your oxygen levels at night. And I'm glad you talked about that sleep test because that's how we get the official diagnosis on somebody with, with sleep apnea, right? Yes. Yep. So you, you need to have a pause in breathing for at least 10 seconds, or you can also have a reduction in breathing, which causes a drop in your oxygen levels below 3 or 4%. I know you're not necessarily the guy who does the sleep test, but you know I, I'm a guy, if you put me on, on an airplane or a bus... Like, I'm not sleeping at all. Uh, what does the sleep <laughs> test look like, especially for somebody who's never had it? There are two different types of sleep tests. They do have the in-lab sleep test, which sometimes they will prefer because it can do EEG if you're worried about seizures or other sleep disorders. Whereas the home sleep test, really, it just monitors your oxygen levels. It monitors your chest movement. There aren't nearly as many wires or things like that to, to prevent you from sleeping. And you know, a big advantage to the home sleep study is that you are at your home, you're where you're most comfortable. And a lot of times that can actually give us more accurate results because of that. Yeah. In your own bed, it's always best, right? Mm-hmm. Dr. Bone, there's more than one type of sleep apnea, correct? Correct. So you, you can have mild, moderate, or severe. And that's just based on the, the numbers that the sleep test reports. If you have mild sleep apnea and you don't have any symptoms, you know, that's not really something that we worry too much about. If you do have symptoms, though, we definitely want people to try CPAP. Once you get up to the moderate and severe range of sleep apnea, that's where we start to see people have increased risk of cardiovascular events such as, you know, hypertension, heart disease, heart failure, AFib even diabetes. So that's why we really do try to focus on treating it with CPAP if you have at least moderate and severe sleep apnea. And I'm glad you talked about especially some of those heart issues. What are the potential dangers if we leave it untreated and how long before problems start arising? That's a good question. It can definitely take a number of years of it being untreated, but it's just the cumulative effect on your body. I mean, basically being without oxygen at night increases your CO2 levels and it basically stresses out your heart during the night. And it's, you don't want to be stressing it out overnight over a long period of time because that really adds up. 
I'm speaking with Dr. Michael Bone. He's an otolaryngologist with Otolaryngology and Facial Surgery Center in Jonesboro, Arkansas. Dr. Bone, let's talk about treatment of sleep apnea. Talked a little bit about CPAP. What are our, our non-surgical options? Are those where you typically start? Absolutely. So we, you know, we start people on CPAP because it does work for treating the sleep apnea in around 90% of people if they are able to tolerate it. And that's, you know, the big if. So some studies have shown that only around 50% of people actually wear the CPAP long enough to tolerate or, and get the benefit from it. We kind of define CPAP tolerance as being able to wear it for at least four hours a night and five hours during the week. So if CPAP doesn't work, some other options, if your sleep apnea is worse when you're laying down on your back, there are devices that we can use. You know, a lot of people think about the tennis ball on the back, but there are actually other devices you can get online that are a little bit more nuanced that will let you sleep more on your side. Also, another interesting thing is that, you know, some people, their sleep apnea is more severe if they're sleeping with their mouth open, because just having your mouth open, it puts your jaw in a position to where your tongue obstructs more. So we actually will have sometimes have people wear a uh, chin strap to keep their mouth closed while they're breathing. Other good options would be weight loss. That's a big one. Sometimes we'll have people go for bariatric surgery if we think that that would benefit them. Another good option is something called the uh, oral appliance. So especially in patients with mild to moderate sleep apnea, the oral appliance can reposition their jaw in a way so that their tongue isn't obstructing as much talked a little bit about how somebody sleeps like maybe on their side. What are the uh, the best sleeping positions? Is elevation, uh, does that help? Does it hurt? Does somebody need to lie flat? What, what are we looking at? Elevating the head certainly could help. Usually most people's sleep apnea is worse if they're laying down on their back because basically that's the position where your tongue is collapsing the most. And in most people, the tongue is really the, the biggest culprit for the, those obstructions. Dr. Bone, the non-surgical options like CPAP, for example, they're only as good as if the patients use the devices. You mentioned that. I think you said 50%. <laughs> Obviously, if somebody has CPAP, they need to be using it every night. Mm -hmm. These devices are not like the devices of your dad and your grandpa. I mean, like they've gotten smaller, sleeker, more travel friendly. What are you looking at if, if your physician tells you, I want to put you on a CPAP device now? That's a really good point to bring up because, you know, we get a lot of patients that come in, you know, they like maybe had got a CPAP like 10 years ago. There really are a lot of different options these days. You know, a big one is they have CPAPs that will actually just go through the nose now, which, you know, for people that are claustrophobic and don't like having a big face mask on, that can be really helpful. You know, there are ways to provide humidity through the mask. And then they're, you know, they really just have a lot more customization available these days. As research and treatment of sleep apnea has progressed, so have permanent treatment options. Let's talk about those surgical procedures you employ. It depends on, you know, obviously when we see a patient that's struggling with sleep apnea, we will look at them, do a physical exam. Some of the different options would include taking out someone's tonsils if they had, you know, really big tonsils. Sometimes the soft palate is really long and floppy, so we can do a procedure called a uvulopharyngopalatoplasty. Sometimes that can help with that level of obstruction. But the problem is, you know, in most patients, the main area of obstruction really is the tongue. 
And before 10 years ago, there really weren't any great options. But now recently, they came out with the Inspire device, which is a type of hypoglossal nerve stimulator. Basically, what that device does, it allows us to push the tongue forward while people are breathing in at night, right when the tongue would normally obstruct, and it prevents the tongue from obstructing and causing that apnea. Do patients feel that device, and if they undergo the procedure, how long would the recovery be on something like that? It's actually an outpatient surgery. There is a little bit of pain in the first few days, but most of the time people are pretty much healed up after two weeks. We do wait a month after the surgery to actually activate the device. And then in order to prevent people from feeling, you know, the tongue getting pushed out and waking them up, we do have a process where we slowly increase the settings. We kind of fine tune them so that we get to a point where the settings are keeping you from having those obstructions, but also not waking you up in the middle of the night. Is this classified as a smart device? Like the way you're able to adjust the settings or do the patients have to come in for you to do that? Or or are you able to do that remotely? So right now we typically have them come in because there is a special software that we have to use. I think eventually they are planning to make it more of like a Bluetooth uh, (laughs) phone app type situation, but I think that's in the works right now. Okay. Uh, Are are you doing any types of robotic surgery as well? No, I I did a little bit in my training, but you have to do a certain number of cases to, you know, have privileges. There are options for people that, you know, you have lingual tonsils in the back of your tongue that can also cause obstruction, much likely, you know, your regular tonsils. And sometimes people will use robotic surgery to remove those just because it's kind of in a very difficult place to reach. I'm just amazed at how quickly things are progressing and allows you guys to do more accurate, more precise, these procedures that allow patients to recover more quickly. Oh, yeah. I do want to emphasize it, the inspired implant surgery. It, you know, it is a surgery, but in the grand scheme of things that we do, it's pretty amazing that we can get these results with it. Who's a good candidate for a surgical option? Anyone that has moderate to severe sleep apnea, which there's a measure called the apnea hypopnea index, which is what we mainly use to grade people's sleep apnea. So if they have a level that is 15 to 65, or we can even go higher than that, that would make them a candidate. And then typically in the past few years, we've tried to only do implants on patients with a BMI of 35 or less. Recently, the insurance companies have been a little bit more flexible with that. And then the other main criteria that we look for, we have to do a little procedure in the OR called a drug-induced sleep endoscopy. And basically what that is, we are looking at the airway in the operating room with a special type of flexible camera that goes through the nose. And the anesthesiologist will put you basically in a sleep-like state, and then we can actually see with the camera exactly where the patient is having obstructions. And for the Inspire device, they found that people with a certain pattern of obstruction where the tongue is collapsing back and making it so that the collapse is going from front to back instead of from the sides. If they have that pattern of collapse, that would make them a candidate as well. You mentioned about the the BMI of, of 35 or higher. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't want somebody to beat themselves up because if, you know, obviously with weight gain, if they're having trouble resting, then being able to exercise to uh, to work this off, like they're not going to have the energy of somebody with a, a much lower BMI who is resting well. 
Oh yeah, for sure. And you know, it's got it is kind of a vicious cycle, and I think that's part of the reason why they expanded the um, criteria to allow us to implant people with higher BMIs. But I do think that that's why bariatric surgery is you know an important option, and then as well as things like Ozempic, which just came out recently, and a lot of a lot of people have found success with that. Talked about exercise. What are some good, effective, preventative measures we can start today for sleep apnea? You know, one thing that you can also try is, you know, decreasing your uh, alcohol intake. Basically, any kind of sedative at night will make you more likely to obstruct. You know, there also might be some certain medications like benzodiazepines, which basically act in the same way as alcohol. You know, especially in elderly patients, I think it's good to avoid those. Otherwise, losing weight is probably one of the most important things you could do. I've been speaking with Dr. Michael Bone, otolaryngologist with OFSC in Jonesboro, Arkansas. Dr. Bone, thanks for your time. Any final words? I just wanted to do this just to make people aware that, you know, if you're not tolerating your CPAP, there is a, a new option. It is still a surgery, though. It's not just a quick fix. But I think it is important uh, to consider the implications of sleep apnea and, you know, try to do whatever you can to reduce the effects of it. That wraps up this edition of Health Wave. If you haven't subscribed yet, search for us on any of the major podcast services, Apple, Spotify, Google Pocket Casts, and more. If you're already a subscriber, thank you even more. And finally, if you're listening to us on either Apple or Spotify, leave us a five-star review, and that helps your friends and family find us. If you have suggestions on a health topic you'd like to hear, send St. Bernard's Healthcare a message on any of the social media platforms or the website stbernards.info. Each HealthWave program is sponsored, promoted, and produced by the marketing team at St. Bernard's Healthcare. Laura Pickens, Sarah Preston, Mackenzie Thomason, Laura Gunter, Amy Hart, Eric Watson, and Allison Johnson. Episode scripting, recording, and editing are done by Mitchell Nell. Our theme music is by Scott Holmes. For HealthWave, I'm Mitchell Nell. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you.